Fortino, no shot. Johnson back to Fortino. Fortino rolling puck down low. Shot scores! It's Pula again! Canada wins gold in overtime! Welcome to Changing on the Fly, a podcast about hockey, politics, and social change. I'm your host, Aaron Lakoff. Like blades on the ice, Changing on the Fly cuts right to the heart of today's most important issues in hockey. We go beyond the stats and pundits to bring you hard-hitting analysis on the politics of the game we love. From taking on racism and sexism in the locker room, to looking at the impacts of climate change on hockey, we amplify voices from the margins and bring them to center ice. Stay with us. Hey, what's up? Welcome to Changing on the Fly. My name is Aaron Lakoff. I am your host, and this is it. This is our final episode of season one of the podcast, episode 13. So uh, I want to thank you all so much for being along for this amazing ride for season one. Uh, I couldn't have really asked for a better start to the podcast at all. We had some amazing guests on the program, people like Chris number two from the legendary punk band Anti-Flag, Shreen Ahmed, who is a brilliant, brilliant voice in feminist and radical sports, Um, lots of other just incredible thinkers and news items. We were really, of course, trying to cover the uh, the story of the CWHL or Canadian Women's Hockey League folding. So yeah, it's been an amazing ride. Check it out. Here's what's going to happen after this. So this is the last episode for the summer. We're going to be back with season two starting around the beginning of the hockey season. So look for the first episode of season two, probably around late September or early October 2019. Of course, there are going to be some amazing guests coming up on season two. Just to give you a little sneak preview, um, you're going to be hearing from Chief Wilton Littlechild, who is one of the commissioners of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission here in Canada and wrote a lot about the theme of reconciliation and sport. Uh, You're going to hear from Matt Hearn, who's an amazing writer from out in Vancouver, who's just dropping so much knowledge about hockey. And of course, I do want to keep covering the story of women's hockey because that necessitates and deserves so much of our attention to go deep behind what the headlines are telling us to go deep into the places that a lot of sports media aren't willing to go. Of course, it's going to be really interesting looking at this boycott or, you know, 200 players who've gotten together to just say that they aren't going to play next year. So really excited to see what's going to happen there. Of course, uh, you know, many of you out there probably were watching the NHL finals last week. The Boston Bruins lost. St. Louis Blues won. Congrats to the Blues. Very first Stanley Cup in their franchise history. And I've said this before on the show. As a Habs fan, there's always a little bit of joy in seeing the Bruins lose. But at the same time, I know how tough that is. And I do have some good friends who are Bruins fans. So, uh, you know, I I don't want to, like, throw any more salt on the wounds. But anyways, I'll I'll just say congrats again to the Blues and leave it at that. And also, in non-hockey news, um, I was completely transfixed on the NBA playoffs this year, the amazing basketball finals, and the Toronto Raptors 
just bringing home the championship uh, last night. Uh, well, last night at the moment we're recording this podcast. Um, and it's kind of funny because I, I actually really love basketball. I've only gotten into watching it in recent years. I grew up in Toronto. I was around when the Raptors first started, went to some of those very early matches in the Sky Dome, <laughs> in the huge baseball stadium. And so it is really cool to see them uh, come this far. And um, yeah, just uh, have nothing but joy for that team. And it's really funny because in the years that the Montreal Canadiens don't make it to the playoffs, I think I'm a little bit more prone to watching basketball because the basketball playoffs essentially run completely parallel to the NHL playoffs. So. Once again, go Raptors. Congrats on your victory. All right, so on today's program, we are going to bring you a very, very special presentation of an amazing story. And this is the story of Fred Sasakamus, one of the very first Indigenous players to ever play in the NHL. He threw on a jersey of the Chicago Blackhawks and played an infamous 11 games for them back in 1953. Fred is 86 years old today, and I had a chance to sit down with him in Ottawa last year when he was presented with the Governor General's Award or the Order of Canada. And uh, it was just an incredible honor in his life, an incredible honor for me to meet him. And Fred really embodies the spirit of what we're trying to do here on Changing on the Fly. He is someone who has overcome so much. He's someone who learned to play hockey in residential schools, who suffered so much trauma there. And yet his story tells a story that flies in the face of what many people in Canada believe to be hockey, which is something that is... um, you know, inclusive and that it's a national sport without necessarily realizing that its history is much more insidious. Hockey was weaponized against Indigenous people uh, in a whole plot of assimilation and genocide. So it's something that, you know, we who are non-Indigenous have to reckon with. And it's something that we can um, take inspiration from in the struggles of people like Fred. So we're going to be getting to that in just a little bit. Before we do, I just want to say thank you again to everyone who makes Changing on the Fly possible. Thank you so much to all our Patreon supporters. If you are a Patreon supporter, uh, you're not going to be charged uh, throughout the summer as we aren't putting out shows and then we are going to start the contributions back up again in the fall. If you want to sign up, hit us up at patreon.com slash changing on the fly. Even as little as $1 a month helps. I want to send a huge thank you to Tom Zalatni and the Upford Network for uh, taking us under their network wing and just being a real big support to us this year. If you're in Montreal, we're going to be doing a live event with many other great producers and hosts from the Upford Network. So that is going to be on July 17th. Details will be forthcoming, but we will, of course, be sharing them on our social media and our website. So look out for that at changingonthefly.ca. Anyways, it's been great. Do check it. Do follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find all the links for those on our website, changingonthefly.ca. We'll be back in October and we'll leave you with this one, the story of Fred Sasakamus. This was produced for NPR's Only a Game and originally aired on NPR in September of 2018. So here we go. Do enjoy
I'm Howard Bryant, and this is Only a Game. When Washington Capitals winger T.J. Oshie brought the Stanley Cup home to Minnesota in July, he was greeted by an Ojibwe honor song written especially for the occasion. Oshie is one of just a few active NHLers with Native American ancestry. But decades before T.J. Oshie picked up a hockey stick for the first time, Fred Sasakamus helped pave the way for indigenous players in the NHL. Aaron Lakoff has the story. In 1940, Indian agents with the Canadian government came to the Takakoop Cree Reservation in central Saskatchewan. Six-year-old Fred Sasakamus and his eight-year-old brother Frank were forcefully taken from their parents and thrown into a truck. We didn't know what the heck was going on. We didn't know. We're too small. Fred and about 30 other kids were driven five hours south to St. Michael's Indian Residential School in Duck Lake, Saskatchewan. You just imagine when the kids were taken away from that reserve, the reservation was empty. Just the elders and parents. The kids were all gone. Between the 1880s and the 1990s, children were removed from indigenous reserves all over Canada and put into residential schools as part of a national policy of assimilation. In order to understand what the residential schools were, you have to go back from Canada into the United States. That's Clifton Ariwaete Nicholas, a Mohawk activist from the Ganasatagi Reserve near Montreal. The residential schools as we know it in the modern context originated in the United States with what they called the industrial schools. It wouldn't teach them anything academic, really, beyond being able to operate whatever machines they would need. Clifton never went to a residential school, but has many family members who did. In these schools, they would indoctrinate them into Christianity, kill the Indian and save the child. Residential schools were administered by the Canadian government and local churches. At the schools, Indigenous kids were barred from speaking their languages. Thousands were tortured and even killed. Many Indigenous people have described what happened in the residential schools as genocide. It's uh, almost genius if it wasn't so evil. Uh, how do you destroy a culture? How do you destroy people and keep them down almost permanently? You kill their language, you kill their culture, you remove their maternal lines. There, you're done. Sexual assault at the hands of priests, teachers, and sometimes older kids was rampant in the schools. Fred himself is a survivor of such abuse. There was sex abuse in there, a lot of it. The priests and the sisters, well, not going to talk about it. Some children found cracks of light in the darkness. For Fred, that was hockey. The sport was introduced at St. Michael's in 1944 by Father Georges Roussel, a French-Canadian priest who had just arrived from the hockey-crazed city of Montreal. You were just like a father, Father Roussel. And we cared. And they come to me and he said, Freddy, I'm going to make a champion out of you. Fred thought Father Roussel was a bit crazy. How could he make championship-winning hockey players out of the kids in the residential school? They had no freedom and were confined to the grounds. But it turns out that Father Roussel was right. We won the provincial midget champion. Still got the sweater. St. Michael's School. Won a little trophy, the best in Saskatchewan. We walked all over him. Hockey brought Fred joy, but he also remembers feeling sad. Loneliness. I wanted to go back to my parents. Somebody to hug me, to kiss me. In 1948, at the age of 15, Fred aged out of the residential school and went back to live with his parents on the reserve. 
He was happy to be reunited, but it wouldn't last for long. Two months after, we were working in, in a field, working for a white man. I think it was $3 a day. One afternoon, we were in the field there. I seen a car. Two people came out. When I recognized Father Rossell, I put my head down and I said, I ain't going back to school. I'm not going back. I'm home now. Fred says Father Rossell was with a big man in a long coat. His name was George Vogan. He wanted Fred to come with him, not to the residential school, but to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to play junior hockey. I wanted to stay. Fame was nothing. Money was nothing. I want mom and dad. I look at dad and he said, you go, my son. Two weeks. In two weeks, you come back. I went with George. We traveled for, oh man, eight hours, long ways. We got to that place, a little town called Moosejo. And I said, that's where I live. He took me home. Fogan had brought Fred to Moose Jaw to try out for the Canucks, a junior hockey team. But Fred struggled to fit in. 130 kids to training camp. 130, all white. I was ashamed, ashamed of being Indian. I could never change it. Fred says George and his wife took good care of him, but his heart yearned for home. Sometimes I cry. You kind of have to excuse me a little bit. I look back to the north, where I come from. It was just like a curtain, black. Everything goes dark. It was like it was nothing there. My life. I left everything behind. As the days went by, Fred's homesickness got worse. I was starting to talk to these white kids. Where's that little... My friend that was sitting beside me. Oh, he got sent home, he said. Not good enough. I said, I'm the one I want to go home. I said, why did they send me home? Fred had only been in Moose Jaw for two weeks, but it was enough. So at eight in the morning, just after George and his wife had left for work, Fred packed up a bag and snuck away. North. I knew the direction to go. I start walking. I went 28 miles. A car pulled up, and it was George. He said, where are you going, Freddie? I said, two weeks, George, going home. He looked down, and he had tears coming down his eyes. He begged. He begged. You come back. I'll give you 50 cents a day. With a lot of money, 50 cents at that time, you could buy Papa two ice creams. Another two weeks, if you don't make it, I'll drive you home. But just give me two more weeks, he said. Fred agreed to return to the Canucks training camp. I see kids. They were leaving. They were down to 50, down to 35. And I was still there. And I was skating hard. George would lace up my shoes, my skates. He would sit there and he'd just lace them. You know, they wouldn't leave me alone. I made it. 
I made that team. So Fred stayed in Moose Jaw. George Bogan, a white man, who helped me every day. He hugged me, walked me down the street. He hold my hand. You see that rainbow? We'll walk that rainbow together. At the end of that rainbow is part of gold. You know what that part of gold is? Any point, it's you. In 1953, at the end of Fred's fourth and final season of junior hockey eligibility, Fred and the Moose Jaw Canucks lost to the Regina Pats in the playoffs. After the game, Fred's team headed into the dressing room. It was there that Fred would get some news that would change his life. George walked in. He said, don't take your stuff off. It's an announcement to be made. George had a telegram in his hand. All these 24 kids had a vision. They wanted to go to the National League, NHL. When they opened that paper, Fred Sakamos reported immediately to the Chicago Blackhawks. Wow. The room just went still. Fred, now 20 years old, would be a pro. So he left Moose Jaw, going even further away from home. I went to the Chicago. Wow. I look at that dressing room of the Chicago Blackhawk. I see number 21. On top of that, number 21 says Moose. <laughs> That's what it was all about. On November 20th, 1953, Fred played his first game with the Blackhawks. You step on that ice, you could hear drums, just like that. Big Chicago Stadium, three balconies, like that. You played one season in the NHL. I played 11 games. 11 games. Why did you decide to leave after one season? I wanted to go home all the time. You are no longer 500 miles away. You are 5,000 miles away. It didn't matter about money, glory. It didn't matter. I didn't want that. I wanted home. 11 games. Not one goal, not even an assist. But with those 11 games, Fred made his mark on hockey history by being one of the first Indigenous people to play in the NHL. Fred was a trailblazer. His legacy lives on today amongst thousands of First Nations hockey fans who saw the Fred Sasakamu story as an inspiration. Fred was definitely the bridge builder. Just through his actions gave opportunities. Urkar Beliars is an Indigenous writer, radio broadcaster, and lifelong hockey fan living in Montreal. Fred is like an icon in our communities because our youth who are dealing with so many issues like suicide and, and alcoholism and, and drug abuse and, and just coming from really, really dark places themselves and they see this guy become a, a professional hockey player, it's, it's something that really is very important for our youth and I really hope that we see more of that. Of the roughly 700 players in the NHL today, there are fewer than 10 of Indigenous descent. 
While it's a small group, there are some all-stars among them, including world-class goaltender Carey Price and T.J. Oshie of the Stanley Cup-winning Washington Capitals. In 2008, under then-Prime Minister Stephen Harper, the Canadian government issued an official apology for its residential school policy. The gesture was controversial. Many Indigenous people saw the apology as empty words while their rights were still being violated. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Sasakamous to the Order of Canada. I was there with Fred as he traveled to Ottawa to receive the Order of Canada last spring for his decades of work lifting up Indigenous youth through hockey programs back home in Attakakoop. And I could see the pride in his eyes as he was handed the medal. I asked him how he felt in his own words. Oh boy, that was one of the greatest moments, I think, in life. And it's great. Fred is 84 now. He lives back home in Attakakoop, Saskatchewan, surrounded by his wife, their kids, and 128 grandkids and great-grandkids. He still loves to settle down in front of the TV to watch hockey games, and he's a lifelong fan of the Blackhawks. That's reporter Aaron Lakoff. All right, so there you have it, the story of Fred Sasakamos, originally produced by myself for NPR's Only a Game and aired last September 2018. So really happy to bring that to all of you out there in Changing on the Flyland. Again, I'm Aaron Lakoff. Thank you so much for being with us. And just before we go again, want to send a huge shout out to all our supporters on Patreon. Ann, Aiden, Jeff, Nick A, Jeremy, Andrew, Nick T, Ellen, Sam, Grill, Dasha, Dan, Shona, Amber and Bruce, and Norm. Thank you again so much for all your support. We'll be back with season two in just a couple months, so don't go anywhere. Hi, I'm Candace Pye, and I'm the host of Gal Chat, a weekly podcast where we give you our feminist takes on everything from sex and dating to politics and pop culture. It's a show that updates you on controversial headlines, dives into the latest movies and TV, and discusses things like Tinder troubles and Me Too struggles. I put out a new show every Tuesday with special guests, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Subscribe, rate, review, and follow us on social media at Gal Chat Pod. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Sass. And we're the host of The Last Stretch, a sports podcast. It's a podcast where we're going to talk about, well, sports. Specifically, what we do look at is what makes an athlete be the best that they can be. So not only do we talk to some athletes, but we talk to the people behind the athletes, from trainers to sports psychologists, you name it, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about other issues revolving sports as well, hot button issues like concussions, maybe doping. Give us a listen. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.